This is Ian Shelton from Military Gun and Regional Justice Center, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with another brand new episode. And on the show this week, we have Aaron Stauffer of Seaweed and Ghostwork. Aaron's in a new band with members of Snapcase, Mile Marker, and Minus the Bear. It's called Ghostwork. They have a new album coming out called Light a Candle for the Lonely that comes out on March 8th. And of course, we know Aaron from Seaweed, a classic, classic band who I love. Aaron is great. This conversation is great. And that's coming up shortly. But first, here's how you can support the new scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Reviews. We are still on the way to 200 Apple Podcast reviews. We are at 194 Currently, we're so close to hitting our goal. So if you have not reviewed the show yet, open up the podcast app on your iPhone, search the new scene, scroll down, and hit that five-star button. Shirts. We have shirts for sale at Deathwish Inc. We have a long-sleeve option and a variety of t-shirts. Pick something up. It's a great way to support the show. Also, you can always email me at newscenepod at iodinerecords.com. And don't forget to support Iodine Recordings, One Line Drawing, Sketchbook, the 2X LP, is available now for pre-order. Sketchbook features a collection of songs from Jonah's early solo years from 99 to 2001, including the sketchy EPs, completely remastered for vinyl. This album includes both original songs and renditions of the likes of 7 Seconds and Jawbox, as well as the Sensefield split. Honoring the late John Bunch. The 2XLP also includes liner notes and a 12-page zine written by Norman Brannon of Texas is the Reason, an antimatter zine. You will also find two tracks performed with Walter Schreifels and Rival Schools. Horsewhip have March tour dates. Check out their page for a full list of dates. No Man and Jerome's Dream will be playing New Friends Fest. That's August 2nd through 4th in Toronto. Tickets are available now. No Man, Glitter and Spit, the new LP, is available for pre-order. Pick up a copy of that, and remember, No Man will be playing with Strike Anywhere. May 3rd in Richmond, Virginia at Richmond Music Hall, and May 4th, well, it was scheduled for St. Vitus, but St. Vitus is closed down right now, and a lot of the shows are being moved elsewhere, so let's wait and see where that's happening. And join the Iodine Noise Cult Volume 3. If you sign up, you'll get every new Iodine vinyl release that's coming out in 2024, and you get rare deluxe variants, free shipping, bonus flexies, all kinds of extras. Also, don't forget to support this month's sponsor, End Hits Records. End Hits Records are home to many bands we know and love. Hot Water Music, Don't Sleep, Boy Sets Fire, As Friends Rust, Be Well, Terror, 
values here. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And did you see? I hope you saw Hot Water Music have a new record coming out on May 10th. It's called Vows. End Hits exclusive variants of the record include deluxe die cut editions as well as exclusive merch items. The first variant is already sold out, so get what's left and get it soon because they will not last. Two new singles for the record are out there now, Menace and Burn Forever. Check those out. All releases from End Hits are available through Deathwish in North America. And listen, you can stay updated on new releases and be the first to know about pre-orders by signing up for the End Hits newsletter at endhitsrecords.com. And don't forget to follow them on Instagram at end underscore hits underscore records. Okay. So check back in with me after the interview with Aaron. We'll do a quick wrap up. And then we've got this month's Artist Spotlight interview with Chris Johns of Stay Inside. But right now, we are going to speak to Aaron Stauffer of Seaweed and Ghostwork. Enjoy. All right, we are here now with Aaron Stauffer. Aaron, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Yes, Aaron, it's great to have you here. Look, you've done a lot of exciting things. You're doing a lot of exciting things. Ghost Work has a new album coming out, and you have a rich history with Seaweed and Gardner, and I want to find out everything else you've been up to over the years. But first, I want to ask you, how are you doing today? I'm having a good day. I uh, surfed this morning. Surf was pretty good by Mendo standards. Uh, better than mid, I'd say. And uh, that just started my day off great. Where are you living? Uh, Mendocino County in Northern California. It's like uh, the third county from the top. So if you headed north, you have two more counties before Oregon. So like uh, almost equal distant between... Portland and Los Angeles. Actually, we can get to Portland faster than Los Angeles. Oh, well, well, I bet it's really nice. I mean, is the surfing great up there? No, it's not great at all. (laughs) But I mean, it's, uh, you can surf most the year, which is nice, I'd say. But as far as like uh, magazine standards, definitely not. I see. And cold. But uh, Northern California is where it's at for me. I I definitely prefer that to Southern California. Definitely less pavement, you know, which is what I like. Yeah. The ocean is way colder over there too. The first time I went to Los Angeles, I tried to go into the ocean in July and it was so cold, it hurt my ankles. I couldn't even go in. Well, it's significantly colder here. Like basically it's just always cold. Um, We, you always wear a wetsuit with a hood, like a thick wetsuit. 
there is a range of about 10 degrees, depending, like the north winds really make it cold. Um, and generally, like this time of year, it's more cold than warm. Plus, the ambient temperature is cold, you know. But as far as like surfing in America, definitely not the coldest spot because that would be Alaska. And it's way warmer than like surfing in Washington and Oregon or Oregon or New Jersey in the winter, you know. Yeah. Have you surfed all over? Not so much. Like in America, I've mostly just surfed in California. Uh, I've surfed in Mexico several times and Brazil. And I kind of surfed in Portugal. I mean, I didn't really surf, but I paddled the board out and tried to surf, but it was, really wasn't happening for me that day. Surfing in the warmer weather climates like Mexico and Australia and stuff makes me think of sharks and be afraid of that. Ever had any encounters? Well, uh, I have never seen a shark surfing, but I have seen a sh- last summer I saw a shark when I was in a boat uh, very close to a place that I surf all the time. And I mean, I was like uh, about a body's length away from this shark and it was big. It was like a 12 foot great white shark and it was super terrifying. I mean, it just looked uh, like every horror movie you've ever seen about sharks. It had that look, just the steely eye. And um, it was just a gigantic creature. Like its head was bigger than me. His head was like the size of a refrigerator. Were you in the water or on the boat? No, I was on land. I was in a boat. So, uh, but it was very close to me. Like, I mean, it's not like it's going to jump up and grab you out of the boat, but it's just funny, uh, after clocking quite a few hours in the ocean over the last 25 years, um, living here, I had never seen a shark and that was the first time. Wow. I bet it's amazing to to see those up close though. Yeah. There's sharks here though. I mean, it's like, they're here all the time. People see them and they just, uh, you know, it's, it, to me, people die driving a car, you know, like driving my car to the surf. That's like where I'm going to probably going to die versus like getting attacked by a shark, you know? Right. There's only so many attacks a year. It's not super common, but common enough. I don't think about it. What's your family structure out there? Are you married? Do you have kids? What's going on? Yeah, I'm married. My kid has grown up. She, I mean, she's uh, like in her 20s and she lives in Oregon uh, so she's out of the house, which is great. I mean, I love her and um, I like being around her, but I'm also, you, of course, you look like what you want for your kids is to like move forward with their life, you know? Right. If they never move out, there's probably some kind of issue. Right, exactly. And the house is small. So when she moved out, it just like all of a sudden didn't seem small anymore. You know, as she got bigger, the house got smaller, you know, but uh, yeah, just one kid. And then Jan and I have been together for... Uh, a long time since like 1991, 1991. Yeah. So some time. Yeah. Did you grow up in Tacoma? I grew up in a place called uh, Stillicum, which is kind of between Tacoma and Olympia, but it's in the same County as uh, Tacoma. And you could take a bus from there to Tacoma in like 25 minutes or something. Uh, and I, then I lived in Tacoma, like I, I went, I moved to Olympia after uh, high school and went to college for a year. And then I kind of slowly made my back, way back to Tacoma. I, I moved to Seattle for a while and then uh, moved to Tacoma and lived there for about three years prior to moving here. I'm curious about your relationship with music and, you know, things that grabbed you early on. And I'm sure it's some I'm sure it's pretty interesting for you living in Washington 
seeing the Nirvana thing happen, seeing that all blow up, uh, playing there, seeing all of the aftermath. Like, tell us about some of that. Well, I'm pretty sure I saw the first Nirvana show out of um, Aberdeen. I think it's like literally the first real show where they were playing. They weren't called Nirvana. They were called Skid Row. Um, and I saw a lot of Nirvana shows. I, I calculated around 20, but like could be more. There were so many of them um, in various different things. And I also saw the Unplugged show, which is cool because I feel like that kind of like meant that I spanned their career, you know. And I saw them one other time a couple nights after the Unplugged show um, in New York. Uh, yeah, they were a real good band, you know. Like there was times when they were like so good. And then when uh, Dave – I saw the first show with Dave Grohl playing drums for them in Olympia – and he just like took the whole thing to another level. You know, the guy is a great drummer. And what is stuff that grabbed you? What was some of your trajectory with music you were interested in? Well, I started going to shows uh, like in Tacoma and Olympia when I was a, a fairly young teen, like 15. And I was a big Melvins fan. And so uh, Nirvana was kind of like the little Melvins, you know. Uh, right. Um but yeah, just there's like so many good bands that were around at the time, like uh, Beat Happening and Screaming Trees, and then all the grunge bands. You know, we that wasn't called grunge; we just called it punk. Grunge was like a later term. You know, it's funny. I like I never even thought of them different than a punk band, except for they were slower. You know, and like 1985, 86, uh, 87. It was kind of like punk to me, like if you were playing like Mohawk punk, like that was, that was behind the times, you know, like that stuff yeah. that already had happened, you know? So like people who are playing hard rock at punk clubs, uh, which is kind of like what they were playing. I thought that was just way more progressive, you know, at the time. Yeah. It's interesting to think about, and this is something I didn't even think about until I started talking to people on this show. All of that was happening before Nirvana, right? Because uh, when I was in fourth grade, that's when alternative music really started, was like really blowing up in the mainstream and you heard about Soundgarden and Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all that stuff. But, you know, to you, it was just punk music coming up in Washington. Yeah, pretty much. It was just, I mean, like what we called grunge was Seattle bands. Just that term, like, oh, like a Seattle band, you know, because all those bands in Seattle that were playing in the bars sounded like that for the most part. And I mean, <clears throat> there was like multiple waves, right, of like bands that were doing that. So like Green River and the Melvins and Malfunction, and they were kind of like the first wave, you know, the U-Men, the U-Men were like huge on that. And so those people were like significantly older than me, actually. I mean, you know, like eight, 10 years older than me because uh, we were like uh, in high school. I mean, I, I started listening to that stuff when I was basically like a freshman, maybe eighth grade. And then like the bands that came, the next generation was like kind of like us. And then, I mean, Pearl Jam, though, they're like all the these OGs from Green River and um, other bands. They are essentially like a next wave band, you know. When did you start performing? Uh, I started performing as a solo artist uh, when I was like 15, I think. And I kind of was like a K band. I had a cassette on K and I um, 
uh, like Calvin pr- put on a lot of my shows, but I played a lot of shows in Tacoma too. Uh, I mean, people didn't really like me. <laughs> I'd say it was kind of <laughs> like this Jonathan Richmond kind of esque beat happening esque kind of thing where I just played a guitar and sang, you know, I think maybe I wanted to be Billy Bragg, but I like was definitely not hitting the mark. How old were you when you started doing that? 15. Uh, it was wow. fi- 15 and 16. And then like when I was like maybe late into 16, I had a band and I was not really doing that anymore because I had a band, you know, it was like, and we weren't good either, but uh, it was just a l- little more, you know, I was stoked because it was like, we're a rock band, you know, I'm not just doing my solo thing anymore. Yeah, it, it probably, I mean, were you scared at all starting to perform at 15 years old solo? Like, I always wanted to perform and be in a band, but I i don't know. I couldn't get it together until I was like 24 years old or something. Well, um, I was like reading poetry, right? As 15-year-old, like, and uh, this guy who was a, a singer-songwriter guy um, was like, hey, man, I know you want a girlfriend, but you need to like get a guitar and write some songs and then you will find yourself a girlfriend. Uh, like doing this poetry thing is never like going to get you any girls. True story. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to learn some so- chords. And I like learn some chords and I like put on ACDC and I was like, this looks, sounds pretty simple. I can just like write an ACDC song. But like what ended up coming out was like Jonathan Richmond beat happening, you know? So when does seaweed come together? How, how old are you? What's going on at that time? Uh, I was in high school, basically like the other band cactus love is what we were called. That kind of dissipated. We never really did anything. Uh, the one guy ended up being in that band, the briefs, uh, he like continued to be in bands, but we just kind of were like on different trajectories in life basically. Um, and, uh, Clint and I were in high school together and we were kind of messing around with playing music together. And then we just kind of basically auditioned teenagers in Tacoma for like a year until um, we found some people who were like, we were super serious. Like, we're going to do this band. We're going to do it right. I've already done a band that sucked. Um, I want to like practice multiple times a week and just be like nose to the grindstone. So we just kept like churning through members, trying to find people who had the commitment level that we did and wanted to play the kind of music that we wanted to play. Which is basically like we were super into like all the DC bands, but we really were just like also listening to all the Seattle bands, you know. Right, right. So what did you do? Did you find the people and then just start playing out as much as you can? Yeah, that's kind of basically it. Like we found the people and yeah, we just like uh, we played shows. We played a lot of shows in like Olympia. We weren't really like we like in fact, we like went on tour before we ever even played in Seattle. It was it was kind of like we were Olympia band in a way like we practiced in Olympia once we were a, a full on band because the drummer uh, lived in Olympia. And uh, so we just played there a lot. And then eventually, like somehow we put out a single. We put out a couple singles. Uh, the bass player Adkins in our band, like was doing a record label at that time, like putting out singles. And he had put out um, like a band called. uh Wax, well, Wax with two W's, which was basically like Mac from um, Super Chunk. And so somehow through that, we ended up like opening for Super Chunk on a tour 
but they weren't even like they were they were just putting out their first record at the time and uh so we basically like drove out to dc and kind of toured like with them for about three weeks and this other band called geek uh from dc and uh at that time sub pop kind of knew about us because we had put out two singles and they had kind of been asking us to do a single and we were like well we're not really like looking to put out a single. We want to put out a record. We want to put out an album. And they're kind of like, well, we're not sure about putting out an album. So we kind of went on that tour. And at the end, we our last show was in Minneapolis. And Twin Tone, this label, was like, oh, well, we'll put your album out. So then we went home and we went to stuff out. We're like, well, we're going to put this album out with Twin Tone if you guys don't want to do it. And they're like, no, we'll, we'll do it. So at that age, you know, you were fixated on just putting out the record. You didn't want to... Uh put out the single with sub pop like were they as big a label then as they are now uh they were pretty well they weren't as big as they were now but they were like doing really well with like mud honey and uh nirvana and tad but uh it was kind of like we wanted them to put an album out so we didn't want to just put out a single like it seemed like some bands were putting out singles and then they wouldn't put out an album we were kind of like well if you want to put out an album put out an album and twin tone at that time was doing pretty good they had uh, you know, they had like poster children and other bands that were like, they had put out all those, um, a soul asylum. No, they, was, they put out like one Minneapolis band that was pretty popular again. It was so long ago. I can't really remember, but anyway, it wasn't like they were nothing, you know, they put babes in Toyland out. They had, uh, they had a thing for a moment there. So it wasn't like we were just completely, um, if we twin tone would have been a fine um, alternative, but we liked the idea of having a record label that we could like physically go to, to demand our funds. Right. <laughs> what were shows like at that time? I mean, were, were you just playing with bands similar to you? Like when I think about when I went to shows, there was all these subgenres. You had uh, New York hardcore, and you had the more and you had the more crossover hardcore bands, and you had emo, and you had uh, screamo stuff like. What kind of shows were you playing? What kind of bands were on it? Well, like when we went on that tour with Super Chunk, it was mostly just opening up and playing in clubs, like in bars, you know, kind of like to older people than us. Because uh, we were all just like between, uh, I don't know, 19 and 21 at that time. Uh, but like most of our shows that we played like in Olympia were just like punk shows, you know, like... And it was kind of different because it was earlier on, right? So this is like early 90s. And a lot of different kind of bands would play at the same venue on the West Coast, you know? It wasn't like there was a special place for hardcore. But then kind of as time went on, we kind of ended up having more of like a young fan base that were more kind of post-hardcore, you know, there, and there wasn't like a ton of hardcore in Washington. So anybody who had like any sort of hardcore association would uh, have fans, you know, like, and we were kind of friends with quicksand and stuff. So we had kind of a, some sort of a hardcore association, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's how I found, found the band originally because I was such a fan of quicksand and, uh, you know, you usually discover seaweed in that mix. We did two different tours with uh, Quick opening for Quicksand. Well, I, one tour, we long tour, we opened for them, and then another 
tour where we were on the warp tour with them, you know. I really enjoyed oh. I really enjoyed that band. I've like never seen the reunited quicksand, but I'm still friendly with Alan and um I mean if same with Walter. I don't I mean I don't haven't seen him for like, I don't know, a decade maybe. I went and saw um that band that he had that was kind of hard rock. Why am I? Oh like, yeah. It, is like it like Black dead Sabbath? something or dead? I can't remember the dead name. Dead Meadows it, yeah. or dead something. Yeah. I like that actually, but uh, it just happened to be in Seattle. And when I was out at my parents' house, which is kind of in Pierce County and I drove to see the show and it was cool. And the drummer uh, for that band was true. And he was in it into another and he was kind of a friend of mine too. It was a good show actually. So Seaweed ends up on Sub Pop. Are you doing a lot of touring at that time? I mean, are you touring all over the U.S. and everything? Yeah, we, uh, like, after we put our first Sub Pop record out, we just started grinding and touring all the time, actually. Like, mostly in the U.S., but then we went, we also toured some in uh, Europe and um, Japan. Oh, Europe and Japan, too. We did a very, very long European tour. Um like where we just basically were, it was almost like two, two months long and playing every night. It was crazy. I actually like recently got the, um, like the tour itinerary from that. And uh, it was just insane back and forth across Europe over and over again. It was the first time I experienced back pain in my life. <laughs> Could you make a living off of the band and get by at that time? I mean, it, it sounds exciting because things are probably more affordable. You're young, you're touring Europe, you're touring Japan, you're touring the US. I mean, uh, how was it? Um, well, basically like we, I was kind of working at, um, so Bob, I, like I, I ended up having a job there. And so it was, that was a kind of a job where you could actually take time off to tour because they wanted me to tour and I basically did that until I felt like I was making enough to like live off the band. And then of course, like when you'd live off the band, you weren't like high rolling. You just were living uh, very cheap, <laughs> you know? What, um, what did you do at Sub Pop? Uh, I did sales of vinyl at the time they were had like all their CDs were being sold through Caroline. And then they basically had a deal where they could sell their vinyl. Cause at the time vinyl wasn't selling all that much. So I just like had a sales department, which was just really me. And I just would like fax orders to record to like record stores and then call them. And then I would personally box up the stuff and send them, you know? So, uh, that was pretty much what I did. And then, you know, I would also do odd jobs too, as, as well. You know, it wasn't a bad job. Do you see the whole, I guess you see the whole Nirvana thing happen and, the mainstream music world grab a hold of this thing and call it grunge and alternative and everything. Does that change things for you? Does it change things from the for the band? Like, what is your perspective on this whole thing? Oh, I mean, definitely. Like, uh, the funny thing is that all of a sudden, like, everybody said we were from Seattle. And we'd be like, well, no, we're from Tacoma. And they'd be like, well, Tacoma's Seattle. And we're like, it definitely is not. It's like a whole, you know... <laughs> I mean, even today, Tacoma is not Seattle. They have definitely grown a lot closer because there's like no shortage of public transportation at this point between the two towns, you know. But like at the town time of our time, you, you could get there on public transportation, but it would take you like a fair amount of time, you know. 
Uh, So, and they're just two very different places. You know, Tacoma is kind of like this working class, like Pittsburgh of the West kind of thing. Um, And it has cleaned up some in the time, you know, we were always like way more of a kind of a rough town than Seattle for the most part. Uh, But it's almost like it hasn't cleaned up. It's like there's, it's got nicer in certain places, but just almost worse than others. You know, it's like the neighborhood that was bad before rough before is semi cleaned up, but like now this like suburban area is like super rough, you know? So anyway, basically people are always saying we're from Seattle. That was annoying. And then, you know, also, cause we were like different. We, when all those grunge bands were coming up, they were playing in bars together and be, you know, they're all friends and we were like in high school, you know, or even before that, we we're like a junior high school. We were like a, a significantly younger than them. Yeah. It's like, it's like calling Orange County, Los Angeles, you know, like people all over the country listening to this music, they don't have any idea about the geography. Right. Yeah. Pretty similar. I'd say in a way about the same amount of time driving there, probably, you know, Right, right. Like to me, it was all, to me, living in Pennsylvania at the time, hearing all of this, it was all just Seattle. (laughs) Right. I mean, and Seattle's changed a huge amount, like compared to like it was in 1990, it became like a huge city. It was not a big city before. It was just like the biggest city in Washington, but not big at all. It's like quadrupled in size, you know. Seaweed ends up signing with Hollywood Records. And putting out Spanaway, yes? Yes. That was kind of like probably not our best decision, but it was nice to have like oh, enough money to like live in an apartment and uh, we got to record the record that we wanted to like, you know, with a lot of high production. Though our initial, our original plan was to record the record ourselves and they wouldn't let us do that. But it was fun, uh, like having Andy Wallace mix it and stuff. I, our original plan was to record it ourselves because we record like Clint had recorded uh, four the record before that completely by himself in his basement. Our plan was kind of do the same thing and then have someone mix it uh, with some skills like Andy Wallace, you know. But the they were you know Hollywood was like no you can't do that you have to they said yes and then they said no basically so. But, you know, in retrospect, I, recording that record was a very fun process, I'd say. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this, the production on it is just great. I mean, it, even now, it, it sounds amazing. Yeah. It's our finest hour. I'd say, like, in retrospect, I would have probably chopped a few songs off of it, made it a little tighter. But, um, and it's not like I, like, listen to seaweed stuff, really. Uh, I mean, it sounds fine when I hear it, but it's just, you know, I kind of lived it, so I don't... It's not, I mean, I don't really even listen to all that much punk, uh, now, you know, what kind of stuff do you listen to these days? Um, I friggin' love Tame Impala, like, and stuff like that. Just, um, and I end up kind of listening to stuff that my kid likes because she's like, Oh, you know, like if we travel together or something, she's like, I'm listening to this and I'll be like, Oh, that's pretty good. Like, um, she likes some band called goth babe. And I, they're actually quite good. I, I like that. And then, you know, I listen to some classical and I listen to a lot of audiobooks actually. And just, you know, like I listen to music mostly like in the car or at work. And at work is just kind of like something that would be agreeable to everybody. 
But if I was going to listen to punk, I find myself like listening mostly to like seventies kind of punk, like, you know, not necessarily like the sex pistols, but more like, you know, the stranglers or, uh, like early eighties stuff, like the early pretenders or, uh, you know, the saints, I friggin' love the saints, like all that kind of like Australian, most of the punk rock and rock from Australia from like the late seventies and early eighties. I, I like quite a bit. Yeah, that makes sense. Like I don't listen to my first bands pretty much ever. And uh, I, I'm pretty much listening to music in the same type of situations you are. So you said, um, signing to Hollywood was a mistake. Why is that? Well, just, um, I mean, it didn't work out <laughs> for one thing. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's like the kind of doing a major label, it's, it's like kind of a, it works out for some people like, you know, during that cycle, uh, it worked out for like, no doubt they were like the band that got popular during that time, you know? And like, it's almost like the other bands that got popular during that time don't even matter anymore. In a way, the only one from like the year that we put our record out that like continues to be popular is no doubt. And they're a good band. Yeah. Yeah. They're good. I mean, did it, did it benefit you at all? Did you see bigger shows? Did you get on better tours? Like, was it, was it good in any way? Yeah. All that, you know, we had bus money and stuff. I mean, not to ride the bus, but to be on a bus. But, you know, again, it's like, if you're, at the level that we were and you're like on a bus, it means you're probably living on the bus. Uh, and so that's not always the greatest thing either. I mean, it's nice cause you can like go completely vertical when you're traveling in your little coffin, but uh, it's just, it's not great when a bunch of men like live on a bus together. It smells terrible, you know, but I was going to say like when we did that first warp tour, I saw no doubt several times before they had any record out, you know, like any major label record. So it was kind of like you're seeing them just as a band, not as like the hype machine. And I thought they were totally legit. They kind of remind me of like the bad brains in a certain sort of way, like not quite as crazy or anything, but uh, I would say that like Gwen Stefani as a front man uh, was, was totally entertaining. A front woman. Yeah. Even when, even when you see really old footage of them, like it, it's good. They're, yeah, they're totally. good. They're a good band. She's definitely got the front person mojo for sure. Always has. The other band that made it during that era was the Death Tones, actually. And they were actually recording their record in the same studio that we were, like in the next in the hallway next door, you know. And some of those guys in Seaweed were hanging out with them a fair amount, you know. It was just so and they're a legit band, you know. Oh yeah, big time. So how do you part ways with Hollywood? When does that happen? How does that happen? Well, basically, like they just kept stalling on our next record and hemming and hawing and stuff. And then we were like, can we just, um, I think there was like some sort of clause in our uh, agreement that said, like, if they didn't put the record out by this period of time, uh, then they had to, they had had to like deliver us a bunch of funds or release us, you know, and so they just released us. And so then I feel like we went to a super chunk show and they're like, Oh, well, we'll put out your record. And then at that time, Clint had a studio. So it was super easy to um, record. I mean, I was already living in Mendo, like basically kind of like 
at the end of the uh, tour cycle for uh, Spanaway, I kind of hung out in Tacoma for like maybe three more months or four more months. I don't know, maybe eight. And then I just uh, moved to Mendocino. And then we recorded Actions and Indications, another classic. Oh, I'm glad to hear that's a classic. It is to me. I love that record. I like the first song a lot. Like that song and the Steadfast Shrine, those are the two songs that are really like on that record. But that first song we like would, that was kind of like a show starter for like the all till the, the end of Seaweed, like from from the moment that we recorded that song to the end, that was a song we always played at the beginning of the show. Did Alan Cage join for that recording? Was he on the record? Uh-huh. Yeah. He was the drummer. And did he, were you just friends with him and, you know, Quicksand was done? Is that how he joined? Yeah. Basically, like, Quicksand kind of blew up, like, really fast. And then, um, like, at the time, uh, Bob was, like, kind of needing a break. And so, we just, like, asked Alan, we, I think like we heard the quicksand broke up. We like called up Alan and said like, Hey, uh, you want to join? And he was like, yeah. Cause he was a big fan, um, supporter of us. And then like, we like literally did like a couple practices in New York. And then he was our drummer like mid tour kind of. And he like, even like moved to Tacoma to like write actions, indications and kind of lived out there for, uh, I don't know, like a year at least. A great drummer to have in the band, right? Oh man, such a good drummer. He's a really good drummer. He's a good guy. Really good guy. We've we've hung out a fair amount since uh you know, he he's come out here a few times and stayed with me. And uh I have not seen him recently cuz I just never make it to these shows cuz you just not like Quicksand's played in Mendocino, you know. Well, I have seen the reunited Quicksand uh, quite a few times over the years, and uh, I love it. I just saw them again for the Slip anniversary tour, and it was like one of the best things I've ever seen. They're the best. I really love that song in the last album, Brushed. That's like one of my favorite Quicksand songs ever. Yeah, yeah, that album is great. So, Seaweed ends up... Bra- Wait, you ended up breaking up in 99, right? Like, were you were you touring Actions and Indications first, or still? We basically went to tour uh, in Brazil and I think like we basically decided on the Brazilian tour, like we're done, like let's go out on a high note because we did really well over there. And um, we had like, we played one last show in America. We played like one show in America before we left in Seattle. And then um, one show when we got back in North Carolina as part of the 10th anniversary of uh, merge and then it was like over yeah so then we just didn't play for like nine years or something how old are you when that band breaks up i was 29 28 28 or 29 i think i just had turned 29 actually is probably what it would be 99 i was born in 71 uh that makes me 28 i just turned 28 yeah that's a uh, like your entire early youth i mean what what how did you feel after the band broke up? Did emotional. you have a plan of what you... No, it was emotional. Like, I was super sad. Like, I was a total supporter in us breaking up. Like, I didn't... Uh, you know, Clint really was the one who pushed to break up, and he felt like he really needed to have closure on the band. And, uh, and you know, I was the one who moved away, so I kind of... I understood that. And... um, But... 
It was sad. I was mopey. <laughs> I was mopey for like a month, basically, you know? Only a month. See, I was very melodramatic when I was younger. Like it would take, you know, I would be sad over a breakup over a six month relationship for like two years. So you, you only moped for a month. I mean, I probably was sad for a long time, but like there was like a month that I was mopey. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a weird, you know, also I think like the end of your twenties are an interesting time, you know, like it, you're kind of, you know, you're still young because I feel like you're young through most of your thirties, but you do kind of see like, oh, that time is coming to an end, you know? Mm. So you could see that. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I think, you know, I was like, it was, I'd say like when I was 27, I moved to Mendocino. So it kind of like marked a big difference, you know, like my life was different when I moved here. My priorities were kind of different. You know, I was surfing a lot and uh kind of trying to work and then like when i was like in my i think i was 30 when my child was born so that like changes everything you know right right yeah i'm curious about the time leading up to ghost work uh, you know i know you did gardner for a number of years up until 2003 that was a band you had with uh van connor from screaming trees but like from 2003 until Ghost Work gets started around 2017, did you do other bands? Did you still play? Like, what what did you do? Okay, first I want to say, you know, Van died, so we got to pour one out for him. Uh, when when did Van pass? He died this year. Uh, I believe it was this year. It's within a year. Like, he basically um, had a... a he had gotten like a resection of his of his gut, and then it it just kind of there was it eventually got he had an infection related to that like much later, and then basically it just kept getting worse, and then he died. Uh, I'd within the year, you know, I hadn't seen him probably for a decade actually, uh, but you know he's a great guy and I loved him, and we spent a lot of time together. So I I feel you know I got to pour one out for Van. Uh, oh, absolutely. But after Gardner, I started another band, which kind of like, like some of the people that I was playing with at Gardner were in Mendocino. And we basically, one of the persons, the drummer, trumpet player, and I started another band called The Blue Dot, which you can listen to on the Spotify. Actually, that album is on there. We put out a record and that went on until I want to say 2006 we kind of dissipated. And then I was doing this one man band for a couple years, like where I would just play drums and guitar and keyboards and sing. And I had some songs and that was called Stoffer. That never really like, I never released anything, uh, but I did play a bunch of shows uh, in, you know, in Tacoma and Portland and Seattle and several in the Mendocino area. And that was just kind of a, for fun thing. And then I was in a band in 2016 called Waveform for a couple years. Like I hadn't done any music for a while. And then there was like a guy that uh, was a parent of my, uh, another parent in school. And he had been in that band cake. He was like the original bass player of the, when they were popular era. 
and we just ended up playing music together and we kind of did a band for a couple of years. We played, you know, like a handful of shows and then uh, I just got tired of that. That guy has some of the most memorable bass lines. He's a super good bass player, actually, I'd say. Uh, he was a joy to play with for sure, Victor. Um, but uh, then basically around that same time that I was doing Waveform, uh, I was recording a lot of music by myself, you know, like, I don't know if you ever like listen to my, look at my Bandcamp page, but I got like 25 songs, uh, up there, like just of stuff. I, it's mostly me, but like, uh, some, there's different drummers that sometimes play or guitar players, but like, it's all kind of done through the computer. But, uh, I started recording that a lot, like doing that thing, which is basically, again, I mean, it's called Aaron Stoffer, but it's basically the same thing as Stoffer was, except for his just on, you know, me recording music on Logic. And then, like, I think Aaron, the drummer for Ghost Work, was the one who contacted me and asked me if I wanted to play with them. And uh, I was like, yeah, sure, send the music, you know. And I wasn't, like, expecting that it was something that I'd want to do. But then I got the music and I really liked it, you know. I kind of somehow thought they'd be like a hardcore band, just considering the lineage, you know. But uh, it's totally not. It was like, remind me kind of like the Cocktoo Twins or My Bloody Valentine. And I like, I love all that, you know? Yeah. So they send you the tracks. What do you do? Just record something over it at home and send it back? Yeah. Like initially I was using this mic, this snow. I don't think I was using this exact one, but like I was initially using this just like I was just using band, uh, not garage band and like using a USB mic. But then as time went on, like I kept upgrading my system and then I mostly use a 58 now, but sometimes I use a, I have a couple different mics, you know, I have like SM7 and stuff, but most of the time I just use a 58 because it's just classic, you know? Yeah. When do you first get together with all those guys? Uh, get together. I've never met them. Like literally. Still? <laughs> still. Like, I feel like it's part of the magic, you know, like uh, what I like about it is that it's different than any other band I've ever been in in the way that like I don't know the people I'm playing with and it's just really just about the music completely and our experience with it, you know? And honestly, like, I feel like in music in general, I was always looking for novelty, you know? Like, even in Seaweed, like, we went on tour with Candlebox, like this kind of butt rock band, you know? Super nice people, but like not really like a music that would be like us. But it was really fun because it was totally novel because we never had like done a hard rock tour, you know? It was like so different than all the years of punk rock tours we'd done. And though I probably wouldn't have wanted to do it again, it was novel, you know? Were they like huge at that point when you toured with them? They were on the downhill slide for sure. Like, Okay. It was like not huge shows. Like some of them were big. There was, you know multi-thousand people shows, but uh, sometimes you'd like just play a club in like South Carolina. <laughs> it was... Because I, I remember loving those singles on the first album during the whole alternative craze when I was in grade school, but that I don't think that second album hit as hard for whatever reason. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm not like a huge Cannavox fan, I have to say. Uh, again, they're always friendly and nice people and stuff, but like, I... I feel like I just would never listen to that, you know? 
And I mean, I like some hard rock, like I like Van Halen and stuff and the Scorps, but uh, it's like, I don't know. They, they sound like more like poison or something to me, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny hearing your perspective because like, you know, I'm in, I don't know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade when that comes out and it was just all packaged as alternative. So like everything was alternative, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, uh, Candlebox, Soul Asylum, uh, all those bands that were just under this one big umbrella. Right. Well, like, that's a funny thing, like Alice in Chains, right? Like they're kind of blumped in with like yeah. uh, Nirvana and Soundgarden, but like they were basically like a metal band, like the type of shows that they played would be metal shows. You know, they wouldn't, I, I did actually see them at the, like a show that was kind of a industry show thing, like at 1990, but because Beat Happening played it. But it was just kind of bizarre that they beat happening and Alice and Chains were playing on the same bill. <laughs> <laughs> so you still haven't met everyone from Ghost Work? We haven't all been in the same room together yet? That's correct. Yes. Like that surprises me. See, I assume that uh since you're around since 2017 or so, that we've played shows that I've missed and things have been going on. No, like we never played a show. Like I it's but we worked on music together like in a way where like Sean would send me tracks and then I'd be like can we change this chorus and then I would like rewrite the chorus and then send it back to him and then he'd like oh yeah that totally works and then he would re-record the chorus with him playing guitar you know because our guitar playing's very different and uh and it just was kind of back and forth like that like this constant working on songs especially here with the second record, because the first record, they basically had everything done. Uh, Sans a couple songs. There was like one song I actually kind of did that on, uh, Bricks of Sun. But almost every other song was like already done. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'll ever meet them. I mean, Sean always says that he's going to come out here to Mendocino and I totally welcome him. But uh, I like the playing music as a solitary person, like I did a fair amount of four tracking in the nineties all through seaweed. And it's just kind of like that. It's like, you're, it's just being like a studio person in a way it's easier on the ears. You know, I hammered my ears all through the nineties in the eighties and, uh, I'm trying to preserve what's left of them. You know, do you have tinnitus or anything? Yeah, totally. All the time. You know, how bad is it? It's, it comes in waves, you know, it's like, that's how tinnitus is. It's like, but yeah, if I pay attention, it's always there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It makes it hard. I mean, like at work, there's so much ambient sound. I have a much harder time hearing people. What do you do for work? Oh, I'm an emergency room uh, nurse. Oh, really? Yeah. I've been doing that for uh, a decade, at least more than that. I think I'm in my 14th year now. So that's got to be an intense job, right? It is intense. Yeah. I mean, being an emergency room nurse in uh, Mendocino is not Chicago, you know, but, um, but we still have a lot of, you know, almost anything that you'd see. There's not a whole lot of gunshot wounds, though you do see them. Um, But almost everything else you'd see is just, you see it in a smaller volume, you know, and in a rural hospital, you don't, have the resources you have in Chicago. Yeah. Is there a lot of uh, opioid epidemic stuff going on out there? Oh, yeah. Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. It's terrible. It's sad. It is. 
It, it's horrible because, you know, I, uh, I'm, in, I'm involved in recovery these days because I used to live a pretty wild lifestyle, but thankfully I made it out alive. But the horrible thing now is, is just fentanyl is just killing everybody. And it, 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 it's, I mean, stakes were high before, but people are just dying now so much easier. Yep. Like just people do drugs for the first time and they just die, you know, and they think they're doing exactly. cocaine and they just die. It was Tacoma was a big uh, junky town. Like uh, back, you know, back in the day, you there wasn't just narcotics everywhere and opiates everywhere. You know, like there was just towns. Certain towns had drugs, and other towns didn't as much. You know, and Tacoma was always one. It's a port city, so there's always a lot of junkies there. And so I kind of grew up and bunk around, uh, you know, opiate addiction. But it was different because. Well, for one thing, because people didn't die as much. They did die. People died. But not like now, you know. And it's not like everywhere, you know. No, it's really sad. I, it's, it's like the saddest thing, I'd say. Uh, like, I don't do drugs or drink, you know. And I'd say uh, it's insane how much of our problems in the emergency department are based around addiction. If not drugs it's alcohol i mean alcohol just like destroys people yeah yeah and it's a particularly ugly death like liver failure you know it's one of the worst and it, that's the sad fact with fentanyl in everything now is yeah like people died before but it's you know being involved in recovery a lot more people are dying like i just expect to hear about a lot more deaths and it's it's sad because like you said people you know they they do it for the first time or and then then they're just gone just like that. Uh I would say recovery is like a big thing with ghost work. Uh I think that every person except for maybe one of the four of us have uh identified addiction problems and uh we kind of it's not like we're a straight edge band for say but uh three of the four of us are in recovery in some sort of way. Are you? I am clean and sober. I, I like, I quit when I was 35. I quit drinking and smoking pot. Oh, I like quit drinking when I was 35. And I think I quit smoking pot when I was 36. And then I probably quit for about 10. I've never actually ever ingested any sort of pot again ever after I quit. But I did drink again. Like maybe 10 years later, I kind of uh, dabbled a bit. Like I never really got drunk, but I definitely like uh, fell off the wagon and had beers here and there and some drinks. And then I just felt like the monkey just growing uh, big time. So I did quit again and I haven't drank since then a drop and I have no intent of doing it again until I'm terminally ill, at which point I will definitely like do probably THC again, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, in recovery a lot, I'll hear, I'll hear people say like, oh yeah, I want to die sober or I want to die clean. But now I don't know what I would do if I was terminally ill, but I sitting here now, I think like I might want to do something one more time. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I see a lot of people terminally ill and I feel like I definitely will want to do drugs. Um, and you know, like, I'm 52, right? So I'd have a colonoscopy and like, you know, they, they gave me fentanyl and, um, and Versed and I fucking loved it. You know, like it was the first time I'd done any drugs in like, I don't know, 15 years or something more. 
since I was 35. So how many maths that is 17 or something. And I just was like, Oh my fucking God. Like if I could go and do this again tomorrow, like, I mean, I wouldn't, but you know, I, I, I would. They gave you fentanyl for a colonoscopy. Yeah. That's pretty normal. Actually like fentanyl and Versed, like we use fentanyl in the ER, uh, all the time actually. And fentanyl and Versed together is basically like what you call a uh, conscious sedation or twilight sleep, you know? And I actually think it's the benzo, the Versed that is like really what makes it nice. But people, I mean, you know, people love it. We also give people ketamine sometimes for that, uh, which is kind of fun. Cause you're like, I mean, I was always, uh, like somebody who liked psychedelics and, uh, I love like watching somebody on psychedelics. <laughs> I did ketamine once a long time ago and I really liked it, but I, I got a colonoscopy done recently and they gave me propofil propofol. and I went right out, but propofol. Yeah, there you go. And when I woke up, I felt really high and I loved yeah. it. Well, you know, like they don't like propofol in California, they have to have two physicians for that. It's like a law. So, uh, it's very inconvenient. So, a lot of times in California, people don't give propofol, you know, but I'd say like for like if somebody has a joint out like a uh, a shoulder or a hip that's become uh, dislodged, dislocated, you know, propofol is the one because it will really put somebody completely out and relax them in such a way you can put it back, you know, but it also makes you stop breathing. So that's like why. It's, it's dangerous. I mean, you have to basically like most of the time you have to breathe through somebody with a bag, which, you know, like as a nurse or respiratory therapist, it's something we totally know how to do, you know, but it is scary. It's a setup for big complications. When you, people stop breathing, we're like Versed and fentanyl, people are going to probably be breathing the whole time by themselves. They might need a little bit of supplemental oxygen, but they're never going to just stop breathing. So Ghost Work has a Light a Candle for the Lonely coming out March 8th on Spartan Records, yes? I'm very proud of it. Yes. Now, there's two singles out there now, Earthquake and Godspeed on the Trail, which I love, and I'm looking very forward to hearing this record. Tell us about it. I um, mean, so it sounds like you were more involved in the songwriting process this time. You're, you're, writing, you're writing guitar, you're writing vocals, yes? Yeah, I mean, less guitar, but some guitar for sure. But yes, the vocals, all of it was fairly collaborative together with, uh, with, with Sean and I, like the, all through the making of the songs, Sean and I were working together, basically. Like we did kind of one song at a time and they were like, okay, we're, he'd send me the first riff or maybe sometimes he'd send me two riffs and then we would just kind of, I would work on it and I would show like, oh, this is like what I'm doing. And then he'd be like, oh, I like that or I don't, you know, and, uh. So it was definitely like a collaboration uh, all through kind of the computer, basically. It's a cool process. Like, I love Sean's guitar playing. I like him. And he has actually played on uh, four, I think, of the songs that I have on my Bandcamp page. And it's like the same thing. Like, uh, I just, I I really like his playing. It kind of reminds me of like Disintegration Cure era mixed with... uh, my bloody Valentine kind of, you know, sight gaze kind of stuff, shoegazer, heavy shoegazer. I love that stuff. And so, yeah, this record and all the playing's good. The drumming's amazing. Bass playing as well. 
And uh, it's just, it, it represents a lot of work. And I think that it's like miles above the first record as far as um, songwriting and quality. So what do you think? Will there ever be a live gig? I don't think so. I mean, I, I am not interested in playing any live gigs ever again, personally. Really? Yeah. Like, I feel like I just have done them. Uh, I've played so many of them. I'm trying to preserve my ears for what they're worth. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of like, like, let's say, I mean, there's a different reason why you have to quit doing drugs and alcohol usually, but there's also this thing where like, you've done this in your life and now it's time to move forward and do something different or take your thing that you do and do it a different way. You know, and that's kind of like what life growing up is about, you know, I've, and it seems like, you know, even in my fifties, I still feel like I learn all the time and grow, you know? And so I feel like I went to so many shows when I was young, like, cause I was just like a weekend show goer. I went to sh- two shows a week and then I toured with seaweed. I was always at a show. And then I like, you know, continue to go see shows for years after that and play shows. And some of the magic of the ritual is lost for me, you know, like I just, it doesn't work for me the way it did before, but playing music where I'm like singing by myself in the cabin has that same magic. That's interesting. And I don't like say, I'm like, I don't want to like yuck somebody's yum and say like, Oh, going to shows is not fun because for other people, they're having a totally different experience, you know? But yeah. I, I, uh, for me, most of the time, I just, you know, I feel like, oh, this is just something I did before and I'm not doing that anymore, you know? No, I, I like that. That's a, It's a unique perspective because most people still want to play and everything is about playing live. But I mean, I have a friend who became an artist and left music behind and he doesn't miss it at all, doesn't want to do it again. He's happy doing what he does now. And you, like you're recording with other people and putting out records and putting out music yourself, but you just have no desire to play live again. And you're okay with that. I mean, I, I like that. Like, and when I was rec- doing like all the vocals in um, ghost work, I'd say like most all the singing and all the song, all the music that's from my part of view, I either wrote it like surfing or working in the ER. Like basically like those are the two things that were I would the two places where I ended up basically doing the my subconscious mind working in the music, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I do it that way sometimes too. I'll be walking around and I'll get a melody or a vocal pattern or something and then hopefully I remember it and can transcribe it later. I mean, I would like literally would listen to the songs like over and over again on my way to surf, so I'd be like there would be no way around it that I wouldn't work on it, you know, when I was surfing. But I always think that like forgetting about it, like you say, sometimes you don't remember. I think that's good, actually. Like if you didn't remember it and you forget about it, that's okay. It's like still in your subconscious mind and you may draw it out again later or your subconscious mind may have decided that that was not the one, you know? Right. That's what I say. If if you don't remember it, was it worth remembering in the first place? Exactly. Um, when you gave up weed and alcohol, when you got sober, how did you do it? Did you need help? Did you do any 12 step? Like for me, it took a a nation to finally stop. And then I, uh, 
ultimately 12 step works for me and I'm still pretty heavily involved in that. What, what about you? Well, I totally support 12 step. I think, I mean, really like it's the only thing that seems to work really. I mean, like, I think that the data shows that if you are a real alcoholic, hardcore, you have like a 15% chance of having it sticking if you're doing NA or, uh, you know, AA, basically that is what basically keeps people on track. And I did basically use a lot of the postulates when I quit, you know, like quitting drinking was pretty easy. I really just quit. I mean, it would be hard when I played shows because I drank a lot in shows. I mean, I didn't always drink. Like I had like literally I had already quit drinking once when I was like 17. And then I started drinking again when I was 21. And then I drank from 21 to 35. And then I quit drinking again. Uh, And it wasn't like I even like kind of planned it. I just was going to take a month off and it just became like 10 years, you know, like basically it just seemed to work out and I didn't miss it. But quitting pot was super hard. And um, it's funny because like I have another friend who's just now quitting pot and he's kind of, he's struggled with it and started and stopped a lot. And um, it's interesting because, you know, people don't talk about it as much and it's like legal. And I feel like people don't realize how absolutely addictive it is. And that I struggled at. And basically what I did was just exercise all the time. I did like went that route, you know, like replaced it. And because I haven't, I didn't 12 step, I always drank fake beer, you know, like to this day, I I drink fake beer, which has gotten a lot better, which is nice. Um, And then I drink like, you know, carbonated sodas in a can, you know, and, or like carbonated waters, you know, I'm basically like doing dry drunk behavior there. Um, But it works for me, you know, um, and then just smoking pot. Like I just never did it again. Cause I know like I would probably just start smoking pot again. Like I feel like I could never, ever do that behavior again because it probably would just restart. Oh, it does. I I've, uh, I've experimented with that myself before I really got heavily involved in 12 step. And my one, my one addiction now is seltzer water because I, you know, I would started drinking seltzer water or soda a lot because my stomach would constantly be nauseous because of the drugs I was taking and I'd be throwing up a lot. So if I drank seltzer, it would soothe that. And I, I just held on to the seltzer and dropped everything else. And now I always have one on me, no matter what. Uh, I love them. I drink them at work. And I drink like these sodas that uh, don't have sugar in them, but they have stevie in them. And I drink those all the time and love them. But my addiction is probably like surfing because that's like the big dopamine drop, you know? And uh, like, I, I definitely get agitated if I don't get my surfs in every week, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. You have to replace it with something, something healthy. And it sounds like you've done that. Surfing is a, a great thing to be involved with. But I mean, I feel like, um, I feel like as basically somebody who kind of identifies as an addict, I definitely feel like you have all this uh, attic wiring in your brain all the time. And um, I feel like I kind of sing about that a lot on the record for sure. Well, that I like that. About want, you know, like, okay, so like all that's want and then like consumerism's want, you know, and basically like we all have these like dopamine machines in our pocket now and um, we're all living this kind of attic lifestyle with our phones, essentially, you know. I like uh, I like the subject matter. It makes me look forward to the record even more. 
Yeah, I'm stoked that we ended up talking. I had no idea this was going to be a 12-step conversation, but it's something that's very dear to me and it's something I think about a lot. I think especially because I'm an ER nurse and I just constantly see the damage. Like every day, uh, I see the damage and um, it's something I think about like all the time. Me too. Me too, because I still go to a lot of meetings. Uh, I'm helping people. I'm being helped. People come and go. You see people come in in all different uh, shape. And uh, unfortunately, we lo- unfortunately, we lose a lot of people too. But uh, hey, it's working for me, so I'm going to keep doing it. Right on. Well, I'm stoked. I'm stoked for you. You know, I think it's a good, I think it's 12 step is a, one of the things we got going for us in this world, <laughs> essentially. Right. Right. So let's recap. Now, we have Light a Candle for the Lonely coming out March 8th on Spartan Records, and we definitely want everybody to purchase it and listen to it and support it, right? For sure. 100%. But it sounds like there probably won't be live shows, so... Nope. There's a video. Uh, The next single uh, has a video, so that's like the closest thing you're going to get. So... Yeah, Race the Morning is the new single that comes out like when the album comes out and there's a video of us basically playing, but not together, you know? So that's like the closest that's like we're like a um, virtual band, basically. Well, I'll take what I can get. And we we know Seaweed reunited over the years starting in 2007 up until 2014. But look, it sounds like no more live shows in the future, right? Yeah. that And, you know, we did 13 shows and it was very clear at the end that there would not be another show. And I mean, I'm pretty tight with Clint. He's like my best friend and he's was, you know, him and I started the band and we spend a fair amount of time with each other, even though he lives in Portland and I live here, but uh, you know, my kid lives in Oregon. So I'm I'm there a fair amount and he regrets ever playing the reunion shows, which I don't feel that way at all because I enjoyed it. And I also play with Atkins. I mean, I also see Atkins, you know, we actually had a band briefly, called um major treasure where i played drums and he played guitar and we played like three songs three shows and um we're both we're still good friends but there's just no urge to do seaweed you know i don't know it's it's a young man's game but also i continually uh release songs on my Bandcamp page as aaron stoffer and those songs are actually quite interesting and i think that people would enjoy them i think I haven't released one this year yet. I usually put out about four a year. And initially when I was doing it, I was putting out like six to 12 a year, but I kind of burnt myself out. You know, I think the last one came out in like December or something or um, the hexagon, but they're a little uh, more uh, indie rock than the ghost work, you know, and whimsical, I would say. I like the sound of that. Yeah, check out Aaron's Bandcamp as well. I'm going to do the same. I always forget to check Bandcamp, and there's usually stuff there that's not on the streaming platforms who control the media that we hear. So I'm looking forward to checking that out as well. I mean, basically, if you like my music, there's like 25 songs you've never heard there, you know? That's, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Well, Aaron, listen, I've been listening to you for a long time, at least... 21 years now and i love everything you do i'm looking forward to the new record and uh i appreciate you a lot so i just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show hey it's been my pleasure i really have enjoyed the conversation it's been wonderful 
And there you have it, Aaron Stauffer. Excellent, excellent conversation. I think I discovered seaweed around 2003 or so when I was really into quicksand and post-hardcore, and I've always really enjoyed their music and ghost work. Excellent, excellent stuff. I love the singles I've heard from the new album. I can't wait to hear the new album. That's an all-star lineup in that band. And what a great surprise that uh, Aaron is connected with recovery as well. I had no idea. I love surprise recovery conversations on this show. Always a pleasant surprise. And Aaron was just super nice. So amazing stuff. Thank you so much, Aaron, for coming on the show. You know, when I was in my 2008 band called Crash of 64, that was a post-hardcore band that I was in with members of All Else Failed. I was pushing for us to do a seaweed cover. Two of us wanted to cover Magic Mountain Man. That's my favorite seaweed song. And Pat was intent on covering Depeche Mode, and we could not come to an agreement, so we did not cover anything. But that's okay. That's okay. I'm going to add Magic Mountain Man to the to our Spotify playlist. Make sure you check it out. Great stuff. All right, so this month's Artist Spotlight interview is with Chris Johns of Stay Inside. I saw Stay Inside recently when they opened up for Code 7 at St. Vitus. I really enjoyed seeing them. I really enjoyed their upcoming record, Ferried Away, which comes out this week. So make sure you listen to the record once it drops, and make sure you stick around for this interview with Chris Johns of Stay Inside. We are here now with Chris Johns. Chris, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. It's great to have you here, Chris. There's a lot of exciting things going on in the world of Stay Inside. I just saw you play an excellent gig oh, with thank Code you. 7 this past weekend. That was exciting. We've got a new excellent record, Ferried Away, coming out very soon. And look, we'll cover all that. But first, I want you to tell me about your band. Stay Inside. When did it get started? How did it get started? Uh, Stay Inside started in 2016-ish. Um, I met uh, Bartice, uh, Bartice Strange, who's no longer in the band, on uh, on Craigslist. Um, and we started kind of like a, I don't know, a kind of a rap R&B indie project. So um, it was the Bartice Strange you met on Craigslist. Yeah, yeah. Well, what was the ad like? Did, I mean, I guess he didn't say I'm Bartice Strange and I'm looking for X Y Z. Well, he wasn't Bartice Strange back then. Yeah, we were just both two people who had never had any 
uh, musical success before meeting on Craigslist ah. as as was acceptable in 2016. I don't know if you can do that anymore. Well, I I uh, put together a band on Craigslist in like 2000. 17 18 so i maybe i make it it's probably still a thing i'm not sure i'd love to hear yeah. i'd love to hear success stories in the 2020s on that uh, <laughs> um yeah so we just started making whatever music we were making and it didn't sound anything like the stuff that we're doing now um but eventually we met vishnu our drummer um and i think he inspired us to be a more of a rock band so we went with that <laughs> Nice, nice. So who were some of the bands that influence you? I mean, I hear a lot of great elements of things I love in Stay Inside. Uh, yeah, for me, I grew up listening to mostly rap and indie. So uh, like, I guess on one side, I really was into Clips and Mob Deep, um, a lot of like early 2000s rap, 50 Cent. That was my shit in high school. Um, and then just kind of moved into the whole early 2000s indie uh uh fashionably cool stuff like built to spill and interpol um and, and and that whole thing and i think uh over the last few years it's more been like screamo and scrams um but uh still listen to a lot of rap and that sort of when i was talking to you this past weekend you said you moved here to new york city from delaware is that correct that is correct where did you live in Delaware? Uh, I grew up in Hokessen, which is right outside of uh, Wilmington. How did you like that? Nah, I was, uh, you know, I, I think everyone has uh, an issue with the place they grew up in, right? Like that's the the classic bashing of your hometown. There's always something yeah. better. The grass is always greener. Um, I, 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 it, it was great. It was, it was, it was nice. I, I wasn't a music kid. I was a sports bro, um, and it was fine for that. But there are not a lot of bands that have come out of Delaware. Well, there's a couple. I mean, we've got Boy Sets Fire. We've got... Um, Joshua Fit for Battle. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was just in uh, the band Common Sage for the last few years. Um, and uh, Brian from Joshua Fit for Battle um, has been filling in for me since I left. And it felt really cool to be uh, somewhat replaced by him one of the only delaware bands i've respected so that's a that's a that's a great link that's awesome yeah well i used to they they would always play uh, a lot of shows we put on in uh pennsylvania back in the day oh cool that's awesome that's right i forgot you were from pennsylvania yeah yeah so i grew up in bucks county and then i lived in philadelphia for a long time so a uh, great scene you know like where would you go to shows uh philly in new york that that was it. I there the, I didn't know about the cool house stuff in Delaware that was happening. So you'd have to go to Philly or New York or or Baltimore. You were a sports bro. You said I was a sports bro. Yeah. How did you transition to the life of music? Uh, eventually, I became too injured to be a sports bro anymore, um, and I and I was I was forced to to the solace of music. What happened? Was it a specific injury or just many? <laughs> no, I think that when you're just like an idiot kid and you throw yourself into whatever you're doing as hard as you can, eventually your body stops uh, enjoying that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're injured. What happens? Do you just sit and learn to play guitar? What do you do? Yeah, I think like every guitarist, you eventually um, get depressed and uh, afraid of society for uh, multiple months in a row and you hole up into your 
your bedroom and you force yourself to learn guitar because you're afraid of uh, being out in public. I'm pre- I think that's how everyone does it. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I was I was 20 years old and I was broke. I couldn't afford a guitar, so my friend let me borrow his acoustic, and then I learned some dashboard confessional songs. And you know, I just ran with it from there. Somehow, now I've been in a couple bands, and it's still working out. Right. So stay inside. We meet the drummer. We get things together. What arrangement did you have? Did you have the full arrangement with the horn uh, pretty early on in the beginning? Uh, no, Matt has been playing with us for like the last year. He's from this awesome band, uh, Really From, that uh, split up uh, a- about a year ago. Um, and as we were writing Ferried Away, there were just a lot of parts that sounded like they should be trumpets. So instead of trying to do a guitar or anything like that, they, I wrote them like a mouth trumpet. And then Matt came in and just played and wrote much better uh, parts than I had mouth trumpeted. So, um, <laughs> how did you meet the rest of the band? Because you know I've tried to put together bands in New York City sometimes through through Craigslist, and I found it very difficult. How did you do it? Um, well, I think that if I had to do it today, it would be just like you know you play in the scene and you meet a bunch of musicians and then you have musician friends. At the time, we didn't have that, so everyone worked for this company called uh, MakerBot. We just I just became friends with everyone that worked at it. It's a 3D printing company, um, so that's Bryn and Vishnu and Bartis all worked there. So um, they all met playing ping pong at in in their in their office. Um, so, uh, my first few years in New York, I was just randomly friends with a lot of people that were really into 3d printing. 3d printing is so fascinating to me. I still don't understand it. Like how, how, how can a printer just print anything if you put in the right schematics? Like you can 3d print a gun. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know how the guns work. I, I, <laughs> in, in theory, I'm just like, well, of course, it's just this thing that drips plastic into a shape. But yeah, when you're getting into uh, technicalities like that, I don't know. That's that's I, I haven't I, I haven't asked Vishnu to print me a gun yet. Yeah, yeah, it's probably not a good idea considering the laws where we live. Right, or, or maybe it is a good idea. Uh, <laughs> maybe he's, maybe he's <laughs> the guy for that. He has printed me a bunch of uh, guitar parts though, which has been really helpful if I break something and I need a certain thing that's a certain size, he's hooked it up. So that's been great. What is it? Is it just like there's a tray and you pour some plastic in there and then you just print whatever you want? I, that in my head, that's it. I haven't used it. I just reap the benefits. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we have this new record coming out ferried away, which I have heard an advance of because I am a uh, major figure in the (laughs) podcasting world in my own mind. And I I have to say, I really love this record. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm excited for it to come out and for everyone else to hear it. I love, I loved seeing you guys this past weekend. The live show certainly matches what's going on on the record. It's a lot of my favorite elements of things, good elements of emo that I like. There's a, a tinge of pop punk mixed in. There's there's a lot of different elements, vocal elements, acoustic guitar, and the horn. The horn really adds a lot to everything too. So I think that that was a good call. I'm, I'm really glad. We're, we're, we're happy to have Matt and uh, the, the more uh, we can compliment him, maybe the longer he'll stick around. <laughs> and um, yeah, when everybody, when you hear the record, uh, A Backyard, 
That's the jam. That's the single, guys. You got to hear it. But the but the whole thing is great. But I want to talk about this record. I was reading about it. You said each song is about a specific person. Is that correct? That is correct. A specific person that you know or knew. Yes, me and Bryn. Um, so Bryn, Bryn helps a lot with the uh, our bass player with the, the lyrics and kind of like the emotional and uh, uh, direction of, of uh, I would say, the concepts. How does it come together? Like, do you, I mean, do you bring song concepts together with her and then suddenly you realize it's about people and we're going to go in that direction? Like, how does it come together? Yeah, we write a lot of songs and I, I know I, I always wish that I were one of those kind of like genius musicians that walks into the studio after they've been on some sort of you know, bender or just like, you know, um, uh, like emotional finding yourself or, or all, you know, these like the, these big cool experiences and you go in and you just shit out some fantastic record. But unfortunately <laughs> we have to write like a million songs and most of them are horrible. Um, and it's just a lot of me sitting in this room where I am in my apartment in Greenpoint and just churning out a couple songs every week and, you know, shopping them to the band. Um, and eventually we pick a handful of them. I'll sit down here with Bryn and she'll say, hey, did you realize that these songs are about this? And I'll say, oh, no, I didn't realize that. Um, and then, you know, you try to turn that when you're three quarters of the way done into into a, uh, you know, well, what does this mean? How do we tie this all together? That makes sense. And tying it all together, you said, is a steeplechase, which was a Coney Island amusement park that burned down in 1907. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. The whole kind of concept around this um is that um uh, individually these songs were about people that have kind of like we've fallen um out of touch with over the years but they used to be really close you kind of end up in this this weird awkward scenario where there's someone who you know you might have used to share like literally everything in your life with and now it's just so that's faded into someone who you're just like oh should i even like text this person is this a, a you know maybe something bad happened between the two of you or not but um, it's the, the, the concept of steeplechase, this park is kind of like, uh, this, this, you know, Coney Island, weird vibe place, um, where, uh, you don't go very often, um, and you feel uncomfortable about being in, um, <laughs> and that's, that's kind of like the, the analogy for the, the, the feeling. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, that's something I think a lot about these days is just how much things have changed. And, you know, thinking about people in my past, whether it's an ex-girlfriend or a friend I don't talk to as much anymore or not at all anymore. And I'm like, where are they? What are they doing? Do they think about me? What if I texted them right now? What would happen? It's it's pretty fascinating stuff. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it, it's, it's strange to be uh, this sort of age where when I was you know, young, it wasn't, there wasn't as much uh, social media. It wasn't as easy to stay in touch with people. But now you you do have this situation where like everyone's half in your life. You know, you're kind of experiencing them uh, from this distance. And you know, when I talk to my mom, she'll go to. She just went to her uh, her fiftieth uh, high school uh, anniversary, and you know, there's these people she hasn't seen, heard from, talked to because she's not online like that in in decades. You know, but we don't have that. We kind of see these people grow up and, you know, start to have kids and and maybe their kids are growing up, you know, 
Um, and it, it's just strange to have this 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 television like view on someone's life who like, yeah, can't even really talk to them in some situations. Of course you can. It's like easy. You just say, hey, what's up? And then it's nice and friendly. But, you know, we don't do that. No, no. We just uh, watch from the digital bushes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Growing, growing <laughs> slowly more uncomfortable. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm glad that's resonating. <laughs> <laughs> How did you uh, hook up with Code 7 for these gigs you guys played last weekend? Uh, I don't know. The Vitus guys just uh, asked us to hop on. Um, Artie from Vitus and, and Bind just, uh, I, I guess, thought of us. Or I don't know if Code 7 had, had heard us before. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where you 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 pull up to the show and everyone's like, oh, yeah, I've heard. Oh, I know, I know that other band you played in. And, you know, like you're all suddenly seen friends. So they were all really nice and 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 cool and fun to hang out with and, and great live. Nice, nice. How did the show in Jersey go? Uh, for, for us, the show went worse, and I'm really glad that you went to the Brooklyn one, but overall, it was, <laughs> it was a great time. Uh, <laughs> what happened? Oh, sometimes you play that bad show. I'd like to get, uh, you know what, so, uh, you, you grow up, right, and you see these, like, these professional musicians, and they're at these places that are probably like the same size that I'm playing now. And you see them and you don't think of them having a bad show. You just see them like, Oh, that was good. Um, and I really hope sometimes that that's maybe the feeling uh, that people have with us and they don't realize that stuff, you know, but I, who, who knows? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, why do you think it was bad? What happened? Oh, we had sound. Oh, well the, um, the, 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 f- first of all, uh, you know, no, no, no me to, <laughs> to to talk negatively about anyone this is more funny the uh there was one song playing on repeat from uh doors at seven until bind played at eight o'clock it's a war zone <laughs> song and it just was on repeat and that was the, the background <laughs> music i think everyone there was slowly being driven crazy uh by by that so uh <laughs> why didn't they switch it Oh, I don't know. I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone noticed who was whoever was controlling the playlist. But eventually, it just became a bit. I saw a couple people walking over to the soundboard. I was like, No, 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 no! Don't, don't! You can't stop this. We got to see how long this can this can go. Eventually, the staff had to had to put an end to it. They were gonna lose their minds. So everybody, the record is coming out this week, the twenty eighth. It's called Ferried Away, and we have to check it out. I'm recommending it to you. Chris, what do we have coming up? Is there any tours that we can announce? Is there any other exciting news in the world of Stay Inside that we can discuss right now on the show? Yeah, we've got um, we've got some shows with uh, Teen Suicide and Awake But Still in Bed at the end of April in the Northeast and Midwest. And we don't have them set as of today, but we're going to be adding a, a couple more uh, dates to that. We'll have plenty of uh shows over the summer but i'm i'm really excited for that because i i'm a huge fan of teen suicide and we've toured with awake but still in bed before and they're one of my favorite bands of all time nice nice so what is your plan i mean you're living in new york city now we have this band together do you want to take the band as far as you can go do you have a separate career that you're focused on like what's going on in your life uh, my full-time job, I work for Warner Music, and I uh, run our uh, construction project. So whenever Warner Music builds uh, recording studios or office space or performance space, uh, I've, I've got a hand in that. I'm the guy. Um, but in terms of the the band, you know, I, 
I just like hanging out with my friends and playing music. And I think that that's when you really get down to it. If people had to say what they actually liked about this stuff, I, I would hope that that's what they want to do. And I just want to do that as long as I can, you know. Um, so I think every year you kind of just got to do it a little bit better to to continue to justify it. So that that's the goal for me. So just to play and have fun. Just to play and have fun. Yeah. I like that because it, it, it sounds like you're keeping it in the present and keeping it in the moment. And, and if you do that, you know, it's it's going to be a lot less stress. Well, yeah, you know, I, I always say, but like, I, I love playing basketball. That was that was my thing. If I could be doing anything right now, that's that would be it. And I saw that kind of like be a part of my life and what was valuable about that. And then that kind of come to an end over time. Um, yeah. And it, this just feels like the same thing. It feels like you you show up to the pickup game. You got five. I got next. You start the game. You know, you're just hanging out. It's just like this dance, you know, and you're just with people, your peers, these people that you respect who are doing a, a similar thing to you in a different way. Um, and you just, you know, you want to let it ride. You ever play basketball still? No, no. I think that my uh, my ACL would crumble beneath my uh, beneath beneath me if I stepped on a court again. <laughs> well chris uh i want to thank you for coming on the show and uh again i love the new record i'm looking forward to more and uh hopefully see you again soon thanks so much keith i really appreciate it 